Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder in the lion's den, back in the saddle after a three-month hiatus. Obviously, with my wife's passing, took a break. But now that we have all of these downloads from Babylon B that have been checking us out, the people that found us through Babylon B, I knew it was time to get back in the saddle. And so we have Craig Glass. Hello, Steve. A staple in the Colorado Springs area and someone that I've enjoyed getting to know the more that we have hung out at Holy Smokes. Thank you. So, Craig, first question, what you smoking? I am smoking a Providencia Trinitas. Thank you, Reed Grafke. Reed and Raymond sent us some... some uh, nice and solid. Yeah. Feels good. Yeah. And I have a... Comfortably Numb by Espinoza. So my high school art teacher is still a big Pink Floyd fan. And every oh, Friday, every Friday in high school art class was Floyd Friday. And oh. so he helped us to really appreciate Pink Floyd. And so it was a Tim Long at a Holy Smoker in Southern California, huh. Inland Empire area, yeah. that told me about this after I mentioned Floyd Friday. And he was like, check out Comfortably Numb. And I bought a box of these on Cigar Bid and... I enjoy them quite a bit. I have not had the cigar. That song is in my top five ever. Oh, it's the guitar solo that David Gilmore does in oh, that gosh. song is just, yeah. oh, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Can't vouch for all the lyrics, but the music itself, unbelievable. Yes. So, Craig, you are not a native of Colorado. No. You're from the Midwest, right? I am from Chicago suburbs, northwest yeah. of Chicago. And talk about growing up. What was it like? Where'd you grow up? Northwest suburbs? Yep. I grew up in a town called Park Ridge, bordered Chicago on the northwest side. Grew up in a Christian family, really blessed with wonderful parents. My dad, for most of my childhood, was a hospital administrator on the northwest side of Chicago. My mom was, people who knew her would agree with this. A combination of June Cleaver, Martha Stewart, and Mother Teresa. Something like that. She was just, (laughs) sounds a little ridiculous, but she was just an amazing mom, an amazing woman. So I was really, really blessed to have them as parents. I've got an older brother, a younger sister, and a younger brother. Grew up in that area. Went to Trinity College in Deerfield, now called Trinity International University. Then graduated from Northern Illinois University. And then went to Wheaton Grad School. What'd you study? I studied pre-med and thought that was the direction I was going to go. I had an opportunity to work at my dad's hospital as a, you know, summer jobs and stuff like that. I was good at science and math, but over time, I realized that the lifestyle that I saw some physicians pursuing, and particularly guys who were going into residency and internship and stuff like that, I thought, boy, I respect that. I honor that. That's not really the direction I want to head anymore. Now, what do you mean lifestyle? Like, what were you seeing specifically? Yeah, um, the hours, the hours on the job, the demands of the work, getting called in the middle of the morning and racing to the hospital. It's heroic. But I also saw the impact on some of their families, Mm. And like what? Time away from home, time away from the kids, not the ability to be able to hang out at the ball field, 
when your daughter's playing softball or your son's playing soccer, the number of hours that to be a good physician that that required was, again, it was heroic. But over time, I began to question if that was the direction I really wanted to go. Mm. I, I had some questions. And so right after graduating from pre-med, my wife studied fine arts. Right after graduating, we made a decision to um, do something else for a year that we'd never have another chance to do in our lives. And then take that year to figure out what we want to do in, in terms of career. And what we decided to do was join a short-term missionary team smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. Where? We lived in Vienna, Austria. And so this was 1976 when the Iron Curtain was actually still a thing. Mm -hmm. And we delivered Bibles, Christian literature, children's materials, pastoral concordances, all the way from Poland all the way down to Bulgaria, every country in between, and the Soviet Union. Hmm. Every country in between. The only place we didn't go was Albania, because Americans couldn't get in there. Hmm. So, like I said, that was supposed to be, in our mind, a one-year experience, do something adventuresome, something that impacted the kingdom, give us a year to really think through what direction are we heading in terms of career. And I still felt it would probably be in the medical field somehow, or biological field. But what I could say about that, Steve, is that first year changed everything. How so? Our exposure to faith behind the Iron Curtain, our exposure to Christians who literally put their lives or their safety and their freedom on the line because of their faith. Mm. Men throughout the whole, we had a network of contacts all throughout Eastern Europe in every major city and many, many small cities who, whatever their occupation was, had decided, I will be a source of receiving literature, contraband, let's face it, mm -hmm. contraband literature from the West, hide it, and then distribute it to mm. the believers in my village or to my church. And meeting these folks, having a quick meal with the family, the demonstration of faith in the face of those who are trying to destroy them, the verse where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. That's what we saw. Hmm. We saw the church being built and the gates of hell did not withstand against it. In 1989, it all collapsed like a series of dominoes. So for those that are listening to this and their interest is peaked in this, I highly recommend going back and listening to the Steve Grison episode because mm. Steve had a very similar experience yep. smuggling Bibles into Russia and I Eastern Europe. One. It was an incredible story. And any yeah. times that you guys felt really threatened or oh, close yeah. to being caught or... Oh, yeah. All right, let's hear some stories. Yeah, it was interesting. What we learned was that occupation, so to speak, that calling was filled with hours of mundane work, mm -hmm. taking apart camping vehicles that had hidden compartments on the walls, false floors, behind the headlights and the fenders, you name it. Anywhere there was open space, we found a way to cover it up and lock it up, but put Bibles in there, small pieces of literature, just stacking these things in there and then they'd collapse and then doing it again and then getting it locked up. Driving through some of the most miserable roads in Europe, mm. 
two-lane highways, one in particular from Zagreb to Belgrade in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, was known as Suicide Strip. It was two lanes of absolute terror and chaos with thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of cars, trucks, buses, dump trucks, everything, driving up and down this two-lane highway with um, folks from Germany, Turkish guest workers, they called them, going home to Turkey during the summer. And we would fit in with the traffic. We would show up at the border with our literature and get in line with dozens and dozens of vehicles. And we just knew they can't check every vehicle. Mm -hmm. And those were some of the more frightening experiences when we had what we called an open load. It was not hidden in compartments. And Mm -hmm. we just put it in the back of the van and covered it up with blankets or whatever. I'll tell you one story. It was in Yugoslavia. Why would you do an open load? Because we had a limited number of vehicles, and the ones that were specialized vehicles, big air quotes, uh, with false compartments, cost a ton of money and a lot of time to build out. We had three or four of those, but we had other vans that we could camp in that we could outfit for less money. Mm -hmm. And we knew that we can take these things to Yugoslavia and cross the border. Between Yugoslavia and Austria, 90% chance we're going to get through okay Mm -hmm. during the summer. But most of the time we use these specialized vehicles because uh, that's not the case. You would get a tough check almost all the time in virtually any country. Mm -hmm. But once my wife and I went on a trip to Yugoslavia, again, that's the former Yugoslavia, delivered some literature to a pastor down there, Mm -hmm. got through the border okay, had dinner with him. We would only spend very, very short amount of time with the contact because they and we were at risk when we would do this. Yes. As we were leaving, he said, are you going back to Austria? We said, yeah, sure, we're going to hang here for another day or two, just look like tourists, and then go back. He said, can I give you some literature to take back to Czechoslovakia? And, you know, part of my brain thought, gee, we already did our job. We're safe now. That doesn't sound safe. The main part of my brain said, of course, this is the main reason we're here. Of course, we'll take it back. So he gave us two stacks of literature wrapped up with twine and some, you know, brown paper bag around it. We put it behind the front seats of a van that was just basically empty, except for a couple of benches on either side and a folding bunch of wood that we could make a bed out of. And we uh, just put it behind the front seats, like I said, under those two benches on either side, and then threw in our camping stuff, our groceries, baggage, that sort of thing. Drove to the border a couple of days later. One of the main borders between Eastern Europe and Western Europe was called Maribor, still there. But there was tons of traffic that would go through there. And, And again, as we arrived, we just prayed that the Lord would keep us safe. Please, Lord. Choose him not to check our vehicle. Pulled into a line with about, I would say, eight cars and vans in it. And something happened that had never happened before. Hmm. A guy walked out of the station, the guard station, and it wasn't what would normally happen is a a soldier. Some guy in a uniform in an AK-47. This wasn't that guy. It was somebody entirely different. He's in a suit. He's in a trench coat. And he's walking past every vehicle coming towards you. Looks like Serbo-Croatian Colombo. 
if you remember that character. Mm -hmm. Detective, he's somewhere high on a higher level than the average uniformed guy, but he knows what he's doing. Came right to our window, knocked on it, motioned to me to roll down the window. Yeah. And he said, your vehicle, take it over there, park it, open up the back, everything on the ground. Mm -hmm. Don't move. I obeyed. Then he went back into the station. We pull over, open up the doors, and my wife, Burl, and I went through a conversation of just exactly how much do we take out. If we take everything out, he's going to see the literature and we're caught. If we take only the camping stuff and leave the literature in there, there's a chance he'll go inside and find it. Let's do that, though. Take everything, all the normal camping stuff out, put it on the ground, leave the literature in there, lock it, pray that he does not open mm -hmm. up that door. He comes out a few minutes later with a German shepherd on a leash. And we're standing there on the, you know, the parking area. There's a pile of our stuff. And he just started walking around it with this dog and just pointing to one thing after another. Sleeping bag, bag of groceries, duffel bag. No reaction. And we're praying, Lord, please. Just don't pointing let them to them and just you, pointing got, to you them guys and the dog them out? Oh, the dog sniffing. We just okay. stood there and watched. Okay. Then he goes over to the van, points to the back rear wheel well. Dog sniffs. Goes to the front, same thing. Runs his finger under the bumper in the front. Dog follows the finger, sniffs, comes around to the front. Same thing with the wheel wells. And then turns to me and says, open up the back. And I know we're caught because it's right there. Mm -hmm. In years before, many years before, I had read Brother Andrew's God Smuggler, and I remembered he prayed, make seeing eyes blind. Mm -hmm. Boy, did I pray that prayer. Mm -hmm. Literally, as I'm unlocking the handle and opening up the door, the double doors, and he comes, goes in with the dog. And I just watched as he ran his finger along the floor and the wall, that seam, and his dog just followed the fingers, sniffing, and then he pointed to one of the stacks of literature. Wrapped up in twine and covered up, points to it. Dog sniffs, no reaction, no reaction from the guard, for, or the detective guy. Points to the other one on the other side. Was he looking for drugs? You'll hear that. You're getting ahead of my story. Yes. Points to that. Dog, no reaction, comes all the way back, and we're just thinking, I can't believe what I'm seeing. There's no reaction. Says, jumps out of the car, says, put everything back in, lock it up, get back in the row of vehicles. We've just seen a miracle. Mm -hmm. Get back in the van, pull up to the front. No, he's already checked us out. They give us our passports and let us go to Austria. Yeah. Yes, in answer to your question. When we got back to Vienna, we found out the day before the biggest drug bust ever found in a vehicle going between Yugoslavia and Austria was found at that same border in the same kind of van we had, European Ford Transit, British registered, two Americans driving it, but it was caught on the Austrian side. Yeah. Huge embarrassment to the Yugoslavs. This day they decided we're getting the next ones. They saw Ford Transit, two Americans, we got them. They were just simply looking for drugs. No reaction to what was obviously there yeah. and just let us go through. Wow. Thank God. Wow. That was one time. How'd you meet your wife? 
Oh, we met in college. Burl is originally from Austin, Texas. We met at Trinity College freshman year. Freshman writing, first day. Yeah. We're sitting in the room. You know, there's 30 students. I'm in the back row leaning back against the wall with all my cool friends. And Burl's up in the front. We didn't know each other at all. And the teacher has us all go up and down the line, introduce yourself, say where you came from. And I'm just leaning back there, and I hear this, I'm Burl Thompson from Austin, Texas. And I just thought, who is that? Just intrigued by her subtle accent. And we became friends in a larger group of friends. Didn't date our freshman year, but by the end of that year, I knew I was really getting tugged. Mm -hmm. But I was planning on transferring to Northern Illinois. I knew she was planning on transferring to the University of Texas. It seemed like there's no point, but man alive, I really felt the feelings. So I decided to go back there the next year, just do one more year at Trinity. And first day back in the bookstore, buying some books. I'm standing at uh, some information, looking at class schedules and stuff like that. Somebody taps me on the shoulder. I turn around just in time to see Burl Thompson walk out the door. Yeah. She decided to come back too, completely apart from each other. Yeah. Yeah. And within a month or two, we started dating, and that was it. So after Europe, that one year of smuggling Bibles, you guys said that your life really kind of changed and it changed the direction. Where did you guys go? It was more than a year. It was supposed to be one year. But everything changed. Our whole set of values, I would say, and expectations of life and our understanding of how I think we probably had the attitude, we get to decide what we want to do in life and let's head back home and do the normal The normal, obvious American thing. Get your education, your job, and raise your kids. I would have to say that whole arrangement of values changed dramatically. And we decided to stay involved with that team for five years. So eventually I led that team with a group of 16 to 20 Americans, Canadians, a Finnish girl, sending them all over Eastern Europe. And so we got involved in what ultimately, Steve, it's not an overstatement to say, we got involved in what eventually resulted in the church growing to the point in Eastern Europe and the gates of hell did not stand against it Mm. and it collapsed. It Mm. was remarkable. We came back to the States in 81. I was asked to oversee all of the teams with this organization, international teams, about 60 missionaries at that time in maybe 10 countries around the world. And so my job was to oversee them, supervise them, help in the training and the sending, and did that for 15 years. And it was, I thought, it was the direction my career would go. Hmm. They put me through Wheaton grad school. I studied intercultural studies, got a chance to do literally every day what I was studying in the evenings or the afternoon. But I had a couple of experiences that were watershed moments and discoveries while I was working with this mission agency. One of them was we tried to do the best that we could. We had a very, very extensive training program prior to sending these folks overseas for two years. Initially, it was a nine-month training program. Eventually, it went down to about six months but still very extensive to prepare them to do the best they can overseas. A lot of times short-term missionaries 
they're disastrous. They're, they're more trouble than they're worth. Yeah. We tried to do the best to prepare them, but also honestly to hold back those who we could tell are not ready for this. Spiritually, relationally, emotionally, there's something going on with this young man or woman or this guy, whatever it is, that we cannot inflict him on Paris or even Eastern Europe. We would have them live in homes as a team for six months of training and eventually it's gonna show up if you can't get along with other teammates. And it was very, very important for us to do this because as any mission agency would, would experience, the number one reason that missionaries result in casualties or they come home earlier than expected is not because they couldn't raise support and it's not because they couldn't learn the language or because of culture shock. Almost always the number one reason is they couldn't get along with their teammates. Mm. Relational conflict. Mm. And I and my colleagues in the training of these folks started to notice a pattern. It almost became predictable as to who we would understand, along with the help of Christian counselors from Wheaton College, doing a great job of interviewing and testing, we could tell eventually this guy, this young lady, is not ready for the demands of team cross-cultural ministry. Hmm. I started to notice a common thread through every person we had to decide to hold back. The common thread was, they're all guys. Nope. It wasn't that they're all women. It wasn't that they're all single. Mm -hmm. The common thread was, as you listen to their story, peel away the layers of the onion, the core of the story, almost always, was about their father. The primary influence for damage or wounds or harm in this person's ability to get along with other people in terms of their relational style or their view of themselves, 99% of the time, came back to their father. Hmm. And I eventually realized if somebody's causing conflict, if some guy has explosive anger, if some person cannot respect the leader on the team, if some young woman is constantly subtly sexualizing herself in the way that she dresses, yes, even as a missionary candidate, I'd sit down with them and just say, tell me about you and your dad. Mm -hmm. Tell me that story. You're going to hear the clue. You're going to hear. And then we would work with our counselors to see is it possible in the six months that we have for this person really to be healthily prepared to be in cross-cultural ministry? And often the answer was no, not yet. And I was the person that had to make those decisions over and over again. One Did you guys have any sort of plan to help them to work through those oh, father yeah. issues? Oh, yeah. Like what sort of stuff would well, you do? Well, work out, uh, immediately develop a relationship with a counselor who would then put them in a, a wise program of regular meetings, going through some kind of resource to understand their relational damage and wounds, understand what a healthy family looks like, understand what our identity is in Christ, not just what dad said about you or how dad treated you, mm -hmm. giving them a spiritual foundation of significance to overcome the assumption that they're worthless or they have to fight for everything they've got. Mm -hmm. You know, the symptoms were unlimited. The core story, 99% of the time, was the same one. What's called the father wound. Mm -hmm. 
And so often that meant they had to go into a different direction than just preparing to go to, to the Philippines. I was usually the guy that had to give them that news, and it was tough, it was very difficult, but we knew it was the right decision to make. But here's another consequence, Steve. It smacked me in the middle of the face, that message. Craig, over and over and over, what you're seeing is a variety of stories of people who cannot get along with other people or have a poor self-esteem, some kind of wound. Almost always it goes back to the father in the story. How about me? Mm. I was the father of three young kids at the time, and I had to look my face at myself in the mirror and recognize, what am I passing on to my kids that's really about me and my wounds, my poor self-esteem, short temper, perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Get the Hot Wheels out of the driveway. How many times do I have to tell you, would you please turn out the lights? Please behave yourself when you're in Sunday school. That sort of thing that honestly was really more about expectation of obedience or uh, reflect well on me than it was on looking out for who they are as God's creation mm -hmm. and bringing out who God created them to be, mm. and affirming that and blessing that. It was huge for me, Steve, and that was one of the first steps in the change in my path of going from 20 years of cross-cultural ministry and missions to leading men, doing ministry with men. Mm. And that was 1995 that I made that change in trajectory, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So when you talk about making that move within yourself, Yeah. what specifically were you listening to? What resources were you devouring that, that were helping you to make that transition? Who was speaking into your life? Those kinds of things. What was helping you to make that transition from you know, forcing your kids to mm. obey to mm. really start to help to understand that, no, these are individuals yeah. that I am entrusted with raising and I need to help them to become who God created them to be, not who I expect them to be? Yeah, great, great question. Honestly, there were so many influences, but the first name that comes to my mind at that time is Larry Crabb, Christian author, who actually, while I was at the mission agency, I and the director of the training program came out to this town called Colorado Springs. I'd never even been <laughs> to Colorado before. Heard him speak at Glen Erie. What year was this? It had to have been something like 1992 okay. or 93. So I was still going to be at international teams for another three years. Heard Larry speak. We went to understand better how to dive into these issues of fathering and blessing and the woundedness that we can pass on to our kids. That's why we came out here, to hear him teach. But one night, he said, I'm going a different direction. I'm going to specifically focus on what I view as the differences between men and women. And his talk that night eventually led to a book he wrote, Men and Women Enjoying the Difference. He made a couple of statements that were the first time I ever heard a Christian guy say something like this. Men, you're the pointed ones. You're the pointed ones. Wait, I know what those words mean. I know what I'm picturing. Is that what you actually mean? Yes. It matters that you're pointed. It means something. Ladies, you're the pierced ones. You're the open ones. It matters. It reflects God's design that you are to be open 
You are to be the receivers. You are to be the surrounders and the protectors. Men, you're built to point, to move, to enter. You're built for action. Hmm. And I just, I have no idea of how to interpret what he's saying based on anything I'd ever heard in church before. Mm -hmm. And I was in church from day one. That was one of the turning points for me, Steve. It was another one of those watershed events that caused me to start thinking, I want to be the man and the father that God had in mind for me as best I can. Mm -hmm. And I want to help other men do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Other men. And I had experiences of reading not just Christian books, but even books by non-Christian authors written for men. One book in particular, Iron John, a classic story about men who are boys who have a wild man inside. There's a wild man in a cage inside. And our society teaches us to keep him civilized, mm -hmm. keep him in a cage, don't let that guy out, don't feed him. And this story is the story about a boy who takes the risk of releasing the wild man. And, you know, again, that wouldn't be a, an author or a book. I would say that a Christian listener is saying, swallow everything you read in this book. No, read with some discernment. Mm -hmm. But there's some insight here. There's some truth mm -hmm. that I want to learn from. And so it was different authors, both Christian and non-Christian, that I was reading that moved me in this direction until one day a friend of mine, my accountability partner, who had worked with me at the mission agency, now was working at Willow Creek Community Church in their small groups department. One day at lunch said, hey, Craig, would you be open to interviewing for a position on staff at Willow Creek? We had visited the church. We thought it was amazing. We didn't attend there. I said, doing what? In what area? Leading the men's and dad's ministry. Hmm. And I simply said, point me to the guy. <laughs> That was 1995, I interviewed, and I was brought on staff to help lead the men's ministry. And I was there for four years, then we moved here to the Springs, and eventually I started Peregrine Ministries, which our mission is to guide and inspire men to help them pass on a life-giving legacy. What brought you out here? Basically, I would say two obvious things. One, we had come out here on vacation or on that retreat, mm -hmm. and I fell in love with Colorado. So did my wife, Burl. The beauty, lifestyle, recreation, the outdoors, the majesty, it felt like home. It captured our hearts. That's the first reason. Second, I knew that I wanted to go after the hearts of men. I also was learning the best way to get beneath the surface with men and to get them to be open and to listen openly is not in the basement of a church or even in my family room. It's out there. Outside. Out there. Out in the woods, on a stream, hiking a trail, on the top of a mountain, sitting at a lake. Out there, yes, outside. Hmm. And I knew the suburbs of Chicago was probably not the best option. I knew some options out here. And so that's what brought us out here. Initially, I worked with a different ministry, International Students Incorporated. They brought me on board to be their national director. And I thought at the time, this is a chance for me to guide and direct 
men because all of their regional directors and team leaders, most of them, I should say, were men. It turned out great organization, great people, loved the vision. I did it for three years. After three years, I realized this is no longer me that needs to be doing this job. I need to do something specifically where every day, all day, I'm in relationship with men, I'm walking with men, I'm guiding men, and I'm trying to inspire them to know you actually matter because you're a guy. Not more than women, for sure. I have to immediately say that. I write a blog called Men Matter, and I've been doing that since 2011. But of course, that phraseology takes on more and more fragility and controversy. Anytime you say anything matters, somebody's going to pick a fight with you. And so I, I have to say, gosh, early on I realized I need to know that as a guy I matter and I want to help other men know that as well. Women do, of course. Of course they matter. If I was a woman, I would probably write a blog called Women Matter. But I'm a guy. I know what it means to feel like you don't matter. I know what it means to just beneath the surface feel regret, self-condemnation, and shame. Just beneath the surface. I want to go after those messages and pierce through them and help every guy I meet to know innately because God decided to build you who you are. You matter. That's where your significance lies. It's not in the job or the car or the trophy wife. It's that God decided to make you who you are. Mm. That's what inspires me, and that's what I try to pass on. Hmm. So how old were your kids when you mm. moved out here? Yeah. My wife and I decided 10 years before we moved here, 10 years before, to find a window when we could get our kids out here. The right school window, the right job for her, the right job for me. It took 10 years to find it. And when we finally did it, it wasn't the best window. Our daughter uh, had just finished first year of college. Mm -hmm. She was at Trinity. She was going to stay there. She was falling in love to the guy she eventually married. So she stayed in Chicago. Our boys, my older son, Alec, was going into senior year of high school. Not a great window mm -hmm. to transfer a kid a thousand miles into a different culture. But Alec had decided, he enjoyed Colorado and the mountains in the West quite a bit. He decided, I'm open for an adventure. I'm ready to give this a shot. And so that was great. Our younger son, Connor, was just starting high school. Admittedly, another very, very tough time to make a change. So whatever age he was, 13 or 14, I wouldn't recommend it as the best times to do it. Mm -hmm. All I can say is, of course, we prayed about it. Burl and I talked about it, and we talked with our kids about it. And it wasn't so much a matter of saying, hey, let's have a family vote. It wasn't. It was, hey, kids, we care about what you think. We care how you feel. Tell us what you think about this idea. Here's what mom and I think. And we feel called to make this move as a family. We hope that you can trust us with that and come along for the adventure. Mm. And so our two sons came with us. So let's say there were 13, 15. Actually, Alec was probably, no, yeah, he had to have been older than that as a senior. So whatever that was, 17, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm. So talk about Peregrine. Mm -hmm. What is Peregrine? What do you guys do? How can Holy Smokers find out more? That kind of stuff. Thanks for asking. First thing I'll say is a lot of people ask, where in the world did that name come from? Peregrine. A lot of guys know it's a falcon 
And yes, that's where I first heard the name. It's the fastest creature God created, capable of flying 200 miles an hour. It's a raptor, defends the nest, mates for life, goes after any bird or animal that threatens the nest. And I like that. <laughs> I like all of those features. That's one of the things that first attracted me. That's not why I chose the name. Most people I talk to don't know. In Latin, the word peregrinus means pilgrim. A guy in a physical journey with a spiritual destination. That's who I am. That's what pulls me. Let's call it peregrine. Hmm. And so that's the heart of the ministry of peregrine. I mentioned the mission before, but it's really to come alongside men in whatever setting, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, in a mentoring or a advising or a coaching, any way that I can talk to a, one guy or a small group of men or a large group of men, whatever the setting is, and it's all of those settings, to let them know a few things. One is your identity is based on who God is and that he decided to make you who you are. And your salvation is based in Jesus Christ. Foundational message. Secondly, to live out the roles that God has in mind for you as a man, as a son, as a brother, as a cousin, as a husband, a father, a grandfather, as a protector, a defender, a provider, whatever the role is that you have with your kids, Steve, or your friends, or your neighbors, any role that you have or that I have as a man, live that out as one who brings blessing, significance, identity, mm. Christian counselors and non-Christian counselors alike understand that the presence, the voice, and the touch of a father in particular is one that brings blessing. Hmm. It solidifies to a daughter or a son that they matter and that their gender matters. Both non-Christian and Christian authors will recognize this. That's not to discount moms, of course. Mom is the one who nurtured us and cared for us and literally carried us. She is that figure of love and blessing on a maternal side. On a father's side, it's the voice of the first guy in a child's life who's not the mother. It's the other person. It's not the one who carried them for nine months or nursed them. It's this other guy. It's the first one who convinces them they either matter because he paid attention mm. or they don't because he's abandoned them or he's absent or he doesn't care. Mm. It's huge. It's mm. enormous. And so I just try to urge all men, pay attention to the fact that you bring some things that really matter one way or the other for blessing or for harm. Mm. And then I love talking with men about their calling in life. I call it your North Star. Probably not the first to think through that, that analogy, but your North Star in our North Star is the one star that doesn't move. Everything else rotates around it. You know, when you see time-lapse photography of the, of the sky at night, all the stars are moving. They're all blurring, except for one. It's that one. Everything rotates around it. And so I like to help men identify a mission statement, their understanding of what their North Star is. I'm called to do this. All the other decisions in my life, literally my job or where I live or whatever, rotate around that. But I'm called 
to do this. That's my North Star. Hmm. And you can see it from any other place you are. You can see it from Illinois or Wisconsin or California or Colorado. You can see it as long as you're in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, I, Australia. Did, I didn't see it in Australia yeah, when no, we were there last see year. It there. They probably got a different term, Southern Cross or something. But in the Northern Hemisphere, everything rotates around it and you can see it wherever you are. If you got a mission statement, that's the reminder. This is who I'm called to be and what I'm called to bring to the world. Every guy wants to know that. Every guy wants to know, what did God have in mind for me when he made me who I am? How do you help people get to that? How do you help men get yep. to that point? Yep. There are three undeniable clues and a fourth one that's often present. Here are the three. I talk with men, first of all, about what are your God-given talents? What is your impact? What are the verbs that you bring? You're a great communicator. You ask great questions. You're creative. You help people communicate in a podcast their work, their goals, their ministry, whatever it is. God gave you that stuff, Steve. It's mm -hmm. undeniable. Mm -hmm. It's not like you went to school, high school in Wisconsin to discover, hey, you're a good communicator. It was there from day one, I'm guessing. It's God-given. I help unwrap those things for men, and I'll give them options of about 40 different verbs and God-given talents that are on the menu list, and there's way more than that. But I start with 40, and I have them narrow it down to about two. Those are the things God gave you. When you show up, this shows up. You organize. You lead. You serve. The list is endless. That's the first thing. What's a God-given talent? Is, this, is, is that list on your website? I believe it is on the website. All right. You've got to put it nice and prominently so that way yeah. when Holy Smokers go to peregrineministries.org. Peregrine, P-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-E, ministries.org. I can tell you that this outline that I'm describing to you for sure is on the, the website. You gotta make it prominent though, so that way when holy smokers go and check we'll it out, that. they can they we'll can sure start to yeah. Yeah, and right now it's under what we do. Okay. It's right under there, right at the top menu, boom, what we do. Perfect. The second thing that I help men think through, the second pillar of what you're calling in your mission to life is is your values and principles. What do you believe in? What I learned when I moved overseas was I had a certain set of American suburban upper middle class values, white values, by the way, went to Eastern Europe and I saw a whole different list of values. We think our values, mm -hmm. well, actually, we hardly even know how to identify them because we're marinated in them. Totally. We've lived with them all of the time. We often think everybody else has the same ones and they agree with our list. That's not true. There's a whole list of values. And so I provide the same thing, a list of about 40 different values. What do you really, really believe in? Not just you believe in this, you actually fight for it. You might even die for it. Freedom, loyalty, justice, servanthood, defense. Oh gosh, I get goosebumps, honestly, Steve, mm -hmm. when I talk about this stuff, because I think our values and our principles, they are the anchor of how we go about deciding how we live our lives. One way or another, how we live our lives is revealing what our values are. And when we can narrow down the focus 
to understanding these are the two or three values. They're at the top of my list. That's what I want to live for. I want to give my life to this, whether it's my occupation or it's my calling. I want to give my life to this. Mm. That's the second thing. The third thing, who are the people or the places that stand out to you? What's the demography, the people group, or the geography that you feel called to do something about to help them? They might stand out to you when you're driving down the street and you see a homeless guy. Not everybody thinks this or when they pass the homeless guy on Bijou in 25, but there are some who pass this guy and their hearts are broken, their hearts are pierced. They're the guys who work at Springs Rescue Mission. They're the people who support Springs Rescue Mission. Some people are pierced at that. Some people are pierced by single moms. Honestly, I am. I think it's one of the most noble callings in the world to raise kids as a single mom. Certainly as a single dad too. Absolutely. What a noble calling. Some people that breaks their hearts and they, they want to do something about that. Or what's the, democ not just the demographics, but the geography for five years, the geography that captured me in Burl, Iron Curtain. We got to go do something about that. That was no longer the case. For me, eventually, the demographics that pulled me was a big one, men. Some people, it's unemployed men. For some, it's middle school students. Got to have a calling if you go after them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those are the three things. God-given talent, God-given values you believe in. Third one, you get pulled by, you care about, you have a heart for this part of the world or people in this category. Those are the three. Here's a fourth one. Yeah, I was going to ask you the fourth. It's often present. I just have to say it's not always, but man, it's often present. How have you been wounded? Mm. The wounds we receive in life are often the tip of the spear of what we want to do as a mission, mm -hmm. as a passion, as a calling. And it's as directly linked as this, the word passion. Actually, the root meaning of the word passion is woundedness, pain, suffering. The passion of the Christ, the movie, the passion of Jesus. It was the suffering of Jesus. Often, our passion, our calling, comes from a place that we have been deeply wounded ourselves. And the good news is, God not only can heal that, he redeems it. Mm -hmm. That's what he did for me. A part of my calling to help men know that they actually matter comes from a wound that I live with, and that is growing up as a guy wondering, do I really have what it takes as a man? And by the way, could somebody please tell me what that is? You know, there are guys who are great hunters. There are guys who operate Fortune 1000 businesses. There are people who are pastors. There are people who are concrete workers. At what point have you defined yourself that you got what it takes as a man? You're a great athlete. Is that it? Mm -hmm. I doubted if I really had what it takes as a man for years until I learned over time. Why? Why what? Why did you doubt? I have a feeling... Most of us doubt. Could be wrong, Steve. Yeah. No, no. I got a feeling most yeah. of us doubt. Most, most I do. believe it's the nature of the masculine journey is that we have to overcome the regrets, 
the condemnation, the failures, the wounds, and above all else, shame. Oh boy, mm -hmm. we could talk a whole session on shame, but I think that shame is probably the enemy's most powerful tool, his sharpest weapon to cut men off at the knees and keep them on the sideline. Mm. When it comes to commitment, leadership, servanthood, spiritual leadership, when it comes to anything like that, I think the enemy goes after shame. Are there any stories of men that you've walked this journey through that all of a sudden you just saw something completely different? You don't have to use a name in particular, right. but right. just an example yes. of walking someone through that and yes. the fruit that came out of it? Yes. My I'm sure story, you've got a whole bunch. Mine, but I won't tell it. But my, I tell my story of shame in my book, Noble Journey, which is also available on the website. Yeah, one guy in the suburbs of Chicago. I'll keep the details generic. Great guy. Really sharp businessman. Yeah. Great family. Good marriage. Good kids. Not involved in the church. Just kind of on the sidelines of the church. Really effective businessman, and the guy was sharp. I mean, he was just a talented, engaging guy. He asked if he could come to Colorado and sit on my back deck and talk about, why am I not engaged as the spiritual leader of my family, or I have any role at church? I don't want it. I'm afraid of it. Can you help me figure out why? Yeah. So we sat on the back deck, and we did a couple of hikes on trails just west of us. And we started talking through his story, and he grew up in a Christian family, became a Christian when he was five, the golden child at church. Everybody wanted him to be their son, that sort of kid. Good at school, good in sports, good at academics. In high school, helped lead his, his youth ministry, and of course, he was the one that those who led the youth ministry said, we want you to be kind of the poster child. Mm -hmm. And then something happened that changed the story for him. There was a girl at school. No, she was in the youth ministry. They befriended each other. She was also in the same school. He started to share his faith with her. And one day, this is just so predictable, she invited him to come over to her place after school, talk more about this faith in Christ thing. They did. Mom and dad weren't home. One thing leads to another. They got physically involved. They had sex. He felt permanently disqualified mm. as a spiritual leader. Mm. That act, the enemy used it, that act was the one that cut him off at the knees, mm. that put him on the sidelines of ever feeling like, I have any right at all to be the poster boy of the youth ministry at my church, let alone become a deacon or an elder, are you kidding? Or to lead a Bible study? Or to be the spiritual leader of my family? I'm disqualified. Here's a message I know is beneath the surface all the time, Steve. I'm disqualified. Mm -hmm. Tell me what disqualified you. You're going to hear a shame story. Almost always. They have some form of abuse that was inflicted on them or they inflicted on another. And I would go so far as to say 90% of those stories there's a sexual story involved. Mm -hmm. Sexual assault on them or they on another person. Assault's too strong of a word for that. Taking advantage of somebody sexually, it, as, as common as that is, 
the enemy takes that and heaps shame on them. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking to see who he can devour. First mm-hmm. Peter. That's why men take themselves out. That's why men disqualify themselves. That gets back to your question. Why do we do this? The enemy's after men. If the enemy can destroy the family, a community, the church, he'll go after anyone he can. He'll go after the teenage kids. He'll go after the women, but man alive, if he can take out the guy in the story. It takes out everything. That's why. How can people get involved with Peregrine outside of Colorado? The Holy Smokers okay. that are listening to this right now that are outside of Colorado. And wow. we'll get to the stuff that's here as well. Yes. Okay. But Great. like, how can people get involved, learn more, that kind Good. of stuff? I would urge them to email me. I've got a Peregrine Ministries email. I won't say that one because it's hard to spell. Glass, G-L-A-S-S, dot Craig, C-R-A-I-G, at gmail.com. Just email me at that. Okay. Um, there are ways. I speak at church men's retreats. I speak at men's group retreats. I have done that all over the country. Guys who I've met in one way or another. I've spoken at retreats in North Carolina and Florida and Wisconsin and Illinois and California, Arizona and Oregon. And just about everywhere in in between. If a guy is looking for, can you help me find out why do I disqualify myself? Or could it be possible that I actually have a calling from the voice of God? Dude, I want to talk to you. Mm. We can talk by Zoom, by Skype, by FaceTime. I can come out there and sit over a cup of coffee. Of course, COVID has changed virtually everything about how this happens. But those are virtual ways that we can connect with each other. Another way, if your church, when the time comes to do men's retreats again, when that time comes, if your church is looking for a speaker or for some guidance about how do we reach the men in this church because the women's ministry is going crazy the youth ministry is doing well it's the guys we can't keep 90% of the churches I've been involved in this in a variety of churches and would love to talk to people about how can you folks turn that corner either for you personally as a guy who's leading a, a men's group or for a church pastor or a men's ministry leader in a church mm-hmm. that sort of thing Here's another way. Very soon, we're going to be guys outside of Colorado Springs can get involved. And here I'll turn the corner into what's happening here. I have worked with many, many churches here in town. Love it. It's one of my favorite things to do, rather than just do things in isolation. I love it in doing partnership with churches. But you might have heard of a weekly men's group that I lead. It's called The Journey. Yep. We meet Friday morning, 6.30 to 8 a.m. So freaking early. Too early for it's, me. It's pretty early. Dude, I know. This is too early for it's me. Early. Matthew Hexter is oh, in that group. He's, he's, been, he's been on the Holy right. Smoke podcast. Uh, great story. Yes, Guy from yes. Ohio that has a yeah. lemon citrus wine company. And yes. uh, it's blowing up. Evergood Elixirs. That's right. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. He's invited me a couple times. I'm like, dude, it's just Good too, for him. too freaking early. I know, it's early. Just... Here's an option that will happen. Yes. We've been doing the journey for 10 years. And I, I just have to say, it's an enormous God story because it started with four guys. Me and three other men in a men's group. All of us Christ followers since we were five in our 50s at that point. 200 years of Christ following experience. But we had divorce 
pornography, getting fired, kids won't talk to you, you name it. That story was in our circle at some point. And we just thought, how do the guys who don't have other men in their lives manage to live like this? We got to bring some other guys in. And so we invited two more guys each and it grew to 12 and then 20 and then 40. And Matthew's one of those guys. I think he came aboard a year or two ago. It's 170 men now. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, somebody asked me, how many churches do these guys come from? Is this all, you know, where you go to church? No. My guess is 15 to 20. We actually started asking one morning. We just kept track. Who comes from here? Who comes from here? 40 churches. Hmm. Wow. It's beyond anything that we ever imagined. That's how I know it's a God thing. And so it's always been in person. And so again, in the fall, we are right now, literally right now, trying to figure out, can we meet in person? We have met most recently at Springs Church mm -hmm. on the north end of the Springs, up by Chapel Hills Mall and mm -hmm. the Walmart up there. Together with them, we are going to figure out, can we safely meet together with one another in person. One thing we know, in the auditorium that we have met, where we've got 170 guys and 20 tables, it's not going to look like that. There have to be some virtual options, and there will be. Hmm. Uh, we learned this in the spring. The last six weeks of our session in the spring were all virtual, mm -hmm. either Facebook Live or on Zoom. And so guys could watch it live and then do a Zoom small group afterward, or watch the recording at a reasonable hour uh, Friday yeah. evening with yeah. their, or Saturday morning at eight o'clock with their buddies over the, cigars and absolutely drink. yeah we got forced to do what we knew someday we want to do do this thing virtually mm -hmm. in addition to in person we had to do that last spring and uh, it turns out for sure that's what's going to happen in the fall. So there's a guy in Portland, Oregon. There's a guy in Dallas, Texas. And there's a guy in Chicago, Illinois, who I know was watching it virtually last spring. And they're going to do it again in the fall. That's awesome. Craig Glass, thanks for being on the Holy Smokes podcast. You're welcome. The books that you have written. Yes. Talk about them super quick. Quickly. Super quick. One is Passage to Manhood, Raising My Sons in a Jewish Neighborhood, with them going to bar mitzvahs and my daughter to bat mitzvahs. I thought... This is amazing. Family, community, place of faith, honoring and blessing, in my case with the boys, their sons. And so I had not experienced that as a kid growing up in the church. This is a guidebook for fathers, either an individual father or a group of fathers who want to guide their sons, their teenage sons, into an understanding of what it means to be a man, passage to manhood. Hmm. Second book is a more recent one, Noble Journey, A Man's Quest to Leave a Lasting Legacy. It is a whole bunch of my stories of tripping and falling and getting scarred and getting back up again about what it looks like to be a man on a journey of significance and a journey where we pass on a life-giving legacy. And it's the themes that I believe are core messages for us men to overcome shame and to have a calling in our lives and to understand what God had in mind when he made a guy. Noble journey. Craig Glass, let's get to rapid fire questions. Yes, sir. Hey, everyone. Before we get to the rapid fire segment, I wanted to talk about a way that you as a listener can support the show and the growth of Holy Smokes by becoming a monthly supporter at patreon.com slash holy smokes. Patreon is a support platform. And for as little as $5 a month, 
can get bonuses like ad-free versions of these podcast episodes, Holy Smoke swag like t-shirts, and more. That's patreon.com slash holy smokes. We're looking to get 40 Patreon supporters at an average of $10 a month. And once we hit that, we'll be able to pay for all the costs for hosting, editing, writing, posting. I won't be paying for that out of my pocket or through the volunteering of my own personal time. And as we grow that number to 100 and 150, 200 patrons, we'll be able to do two shows a week, hire a part-time assistant, web developer, record on location and around the world, and more. I want to visit groups and get those stories from so many of you listeners that I hear from. I want to go to Seattle, and I want to go to Dallas, and I want to go to Charleston, South Carolina, and I want to go to Kentucky, and Chicago, and Phoenix, Atlanta, D.C., Charlotte, back to Southern California, and more. We want to help grow your groups and plant new ones for those of you in areas without active groups. So can you help us out? become a regular supporter at patreon.com slash holy smokes there's a link in the show notes that's patreon.com slash holy smokes or if you want to make a one-time tax deductible gift go to paypal.me slash holy smokes club that's paypal.me slash holy smokes club and both of those links are in the show notes thanks rapid fire Here. Cigars or pipe? Oh, first pipe. First pipe? Yes. Okay. In college, I thought it might be cool to smoke a pipe every now and then. Fell in love with the aroma. And so I smoked a pipe periodically for the following, I don't know, maybe 30 years. Probably 10 years ago, I picked up a couple of cigars and I thought, man, this is a lot easier. And so I uh, rarely pipes these days. Cigars way more often yeah favorite cigar favorite cigar i would say is oliva milanio solid i like the aroma burl likes the aroma when you light up that matters that's good i like them does your wife smoke no occasionally although when i met her in college she did try a swisher sweet with me so i thought okay (laughs) she's one to pay attention to best dollar for dollar cigar you've ever smoked La Flora Dominicana, I would say. Yeah. Not a cigar I buy a bunch of, but I've had a couple, and man, I think it's a little bit higher, pricier than I normally spend, but wow, that's a great cigar. Where's your go-to place to get your smokes? I do Cigars International online, and that's generally where I buy most of my cigars. Yeah. Your favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? I love Buffalo Trace. I love, like bourbon, but Buffalo Trace, to me, that's quality for cost that checks that box for me most interesting person you've ever met through cigars wow at holy smokes when i first started going every week i came home i'd say to burl i met the most fascinating guy or i had the most fascinating conversation how'd you find out about holy smokes i would say it was five or six years ago i think steve partlow was the guy who told me about it i would say paul felitas there's, honestly, there's many answers to that question, but Paul, what a story that guy has. And what a wonderful, honestly, pastoral ministry that he's got with the guys who show up. Yeah, he's got a great place downtown for those that are listening that haven't listened to that episode. I think it's episode seven. Paul Felitas has got an amazing story. And when you come to Colorado Springs, yeah. 
you will love the hug. Get ready for the get. hug. That lasts a little too long almost for Americans, but it's something yeah, I, I love Just about to go into the uncomfortable area. <laughs> yeah. Most memorable cigar experience. Oh, I just got to say, my son, Alec, he works for a ministry, Navigators. He went on a sabbatical last summer and asked me to join him for the first week he was going to spend at a cottage my sister and brother-in-law own in Northern Ireland half a mile from the north coast, north Ooh. Atlantic coast. I've been there a number of times, so had he invited me to go along with. And one day we sat on the back patio, our eyes on the ocean, and we had a cigar each. And we, Alex, 38, 37 at that time, we had one of the most fascinating, personal, revealing conversations of our lives mm. over a cigar. Mm. Man. There had to have been some great affirmation for your journey, where you have come and your yeah. shift in raising them. and Yeah. And the joy of each one of our kids, seeing them unleashed into their calling, each yeah. one of them. And with Alec, for him to invite me, for him to say, you know, I got three months of a sabbatical, but I'd like the first week for you to be with me in Ireland. Will you? I didn't pause. I wasn't planning on going to Ireland that month or that week, but I didn't pause. The answer is yes. I got to figure out how to make it happen. All right. Marvel or DC? You know, interesting. I hear this question. I kind of don't care, but I'd have to. Superman and Batman, they're, they're DC, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's those guys. The Flash, is he DC? I don't Flash know. is DC as yeah. well. Yep. So it's got to be them. All right. Star Wars or Star Trek? Kind of don't care, but yeah, much more leans towards Star Wars. Favorite food? Wiener schnitzel. Ooh. Learned it in Austria. It means a pork, or actually veal cutlet. Wiener means Viennese schnitzel yeah. cutlet. Deep fried with incredible flaky seasoned baking with fries and a mixed salad and a beer. Oh dude, goodness. I gotta have that sometime at your, with you. Oh my god, I, I gotta. Oh, it's phenomenal, dude. That sounds freaking amazing. It can be badly cooked and it's soggy, or it can be. It's almost a transcendental experience. <laughs> <laughs> Probably an overstatement. Dogs, cats, neither or both. Oh boy, grew up with a cat. Became immensely allergic to them in Ooh. college. Mm. Uh, can't be anywhere near them. Mm. Love dogs. Grew up with dogs, and I've had six. Nickname growing up or in college? Seymour. C. Craig Moore. Morgan. Seymour. Morgan. Middle name? This is my middle name. Your middle yeah. name? Craig Morgan Glass. Yeah. Seymour. That's cool. Seymour. <laughs> What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? Often it's something like I smuggled Bibles. I've barefoot water skied. Oh. Yeah. That's one that comes to mind. Favorite three books not titled The Holy Bible. Okay. Yeah, boy, I was ready for this question, Steve, and I thought, gee, do I have to narrow it down to three, but I will. The most recent one I read, Boys in the Boat, about the amazing story of an eight-oar rowing crew from the University of Washington that competed in the Olympics in 1936 in Berlin, Hitler's Olympics, and they won the gold medal. Hmm. Amazing story of brotherhood and discipline and overcoming enormous odds. Boys in the Boat. Second one, The Road to Character, David Brooks. 
he talks about your resume virtues, hardworking, productive, accomplish this kind of success, versus our eulogy virtues, integrity, compassion, mm. kindness, presence, that sort of thing. Just the road to character. We see a lot of stories about the road to performance, but this one's deeper. The road to character. Third one, the soul of shame. Kurt Thompson. As you've already heard, shame is an enormous subject, I think, for me and for men. And I don't believe I ever heard a sermon or read a book on shame until about 15 years ago. I read a book called Shame and Grace by Lewis Meads. And this more recent one, The Soul of Shame, is outstanding. Are you an early riser, night owl, or normal? Early. 6.30 on Fridays yeah, for, for yeah, get a pretty the journey. For that. If you could live anywhere hmm. other than Colorado. Colorado yeah. wasn't an option. Okay, that's Where tough. would you live? Bend, Oregon is a lot like the Springs. That's I, too cheap. I was recently in Park City, Utah. Yeah. Never been there before. Wow, what a great town. Yeah. Beautiful climate, hills, mountains, not quite like ours right here. Yeah. Amazing hiking and biking trails. Cool town. So you're a mountain guy. Uh, yeah, I like mountains. Is that one of the questions? Yeah. Mountains or oceans? No. Who's been the greatest influence in your life? I have to say my dad. Mm. Um, but there are a handful of men. I will mention one other, but my dad for sure. Absolutely. And ironically, I did get a father wound from him. But a second man, a guy named Kevin Dyer from Australia, came to the States as a Bible school student in Chicago, started International Teams, which is the organization I was with for 20 years. He helped me believe I was a leader by sticking me in it and making me do it. Hmm. What do you do for self-care, rest, recharge? Yeah, I love a cigar uh, with a buddy or even on my own. That is definitely a recharger. I love to um, bike trails. You know, it's mountain biking, but I'm not a crazy mountain biker, but I love off-road trails. Also, um, golf. I'm not really all the time kind of golfer, but this summer I have been on sabbatical and I've golfed more than ever, and it's life-giving for me. Usually you're in a beautiful place with a guy you like. And I try to, I always like to score well, but I immediately put that out of my mind once I've already shot a seven on some hole. <laughs> if you were arrested with no explanation, oh. what would your family and friends think you had done? Speed. What's the best? Or smuggle Bibles. <laughs> What's the best type of cheese? Oh, uh, manchego, Spanish cheese. Wow. What yeah. is it like? What's it like? Yeah. Just mildly, subtly, subtly flavorful. Mm. But you'll pay for it. It's not cheese whiz. It's good cheese. What does Holy Smokes mean to you? And what has it contributed to your spiritual journey? Oh, yeah, great. It's brotherhood. It's community. It's I belong. And as I touched on a few minutes ago, I have met some of the most fascinating men there with the most fascinating stories. Wait a minute. You were in Afghanistan and in your glove compartment you had the sword, the Bible, and in the back seat you had the AK-47. I mean, those kinds of stories. Virtually every guy I've talked to at Holy Smokes, regardless of his age, regardless of whatever business or ministry he's been in, it's been fascinating. The great stories. If you could have a Holy Smoke 
with any three people throughout history, living or deceased. Should have thought of this one. Who would they be? And can't name Jesus. Jesus, right? Can't name Jesus. Whoa, I should have spent some time on this one. I think Frederick Beekner is one. Who's that? He's a guy who said, when what you love intersects with what people need, that's your calling. Mm. Yeah. Mm. He'd be one of them. Gosh, there are all sorts of names that come to mind. I really should have thought more of this, but man alive. I grew up admiring Gail Sayers, running back for the Chicago Bears, good Mm -hmm. old number 40, the Kansas Comet. There's something about him that's deeper, just based on things that I've seen him write. I Am Third, he wrote a book called I Am Third. God is first, others are second. I Am Third. I don't know anything else about the guy, but that appeals to me. Another is probably, gosh, there's a guy named George Verwer. He started an organization called Operation Mobilization in the early to mid-60s. He's still involved in it. It has literally changed the world for the kingdom. Hmm. Just unbelievable vision and energy and engagement. Hmm. He's changed the world. Hmm. God's used him to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be a guy. I don't know if he smokes. Last question. If we're to meet one year from today, yeah. and I got a bottle of Buffalo Trace, Ooh. The what are we yes. celebrating? What are we celebrating? Great. I know really easily what that one will be, Steve, that we have pivoted well and effectively and fruitfully. We being Peregrine, and the pivot being, like everybody else, that's leading a business, organization, church, whatever it is, How do we redefine who we are now that we live in this environment? It's one of the things I've been thinking and praying about quite a bit this summer. I've talked with a number of other men who I view as mentors to help me think through how does this change a year from now. I would love to be able to look back and toast a glass of Buffalo Trace with you and be able to see God guided us through the confusion and anxiousness and brought about fruit and Mm. transformation. Craig Glass, thanks for being on the Holy Smokes podcast. PeregrineMinistries.org is the website. It's been an honor and a pleasure, Steve. Thank you so much for asking me.